Hello and welcome to episode 179 of the NFL Scotland podcast. The wild card round is done. Only one of the wild cards made it and it was the best one at that. My name is Cameron Hobbs. My name is Paul Mitchell. Welcome to the podcast where we explain what the term fair weather fan actually <laughs> means. And and I've got to say this. How about them cowboys? How about them cowboys? We'll get to that, don't you worry. Joining us this evening, delighted to be joined as, I'd say as ever, most of the time anyway, please welcome back to the podcast, Charles Patterson and Gordon McGuinness. Good evening, gents. Evening. Good evening. And while we're on the topic of done, we can celebrate the end of Big Ben's career with a delightfully terrible performance. <laughs> we'll get to that too. Uh, we're also, uh, we've brought someone else in as well, a bit of razzmatazz, someone with a bit of experience in this NFL game. He's covered the NFL for Sky Sports for a number of years. He's been to Super Bowls. He's now got his own podcast. Please welcome Richard Graves. Good evening, sir. Yeah, good evening, Cameron. Good evening, guys. Thanks for having me on. Delighted to have you. Now, Paul, we always ask the same couple of questions to our new uh, guests. So if you can remember them off the top of your head, you can go for that. I'm a professional broadcaster, Cameron. Thanks for dropping me in it like that. <laughs> Richard, great to, great to have you along. Uh, first of all, how did you get interested in American football? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I guess, like many people, have been when it was on Channel 4, do you remember back in those days when you had one game a week, usually... Sunday night football or Monday night football. Um, so I, I can vaguely remember um, the Super Bowls back then. And it sort of progressed. Sega Mega Drive games, the Madden game on, on there. Um, and then for those of you that can remember, days before Game Pass, you used to be able to log on to NFL.com. And obviously here in the UK, we didn't have live feeds of games. You might have the armed ser uh, services network where you'd get this flaky signal that would come in and out, but you could watch it on nfl.com on really horrific graphics. Uh, and basically you'd see these graphics go up and down the screen until something incredible happened. Like for example, there was a, a pick and suddenly it would say, Intercepted! it's going the other way. And, and you get really excited. And this would take three hours. And I look back now and think, you were absolutely nuts. But from there, I, I had uh, friends over in the States, former work colleagues, went and saw a couple of games there. And that was it. From the moment I went to a first game, uh, Cowboys-Giants, when Romo came in at halftime for Bledsoe and immediately threw a, a pick six, I think it was. But uh, that whole atmosphere, from that moment, I was hooked. And it's the love affair has grown from there. I think you've alluded to it there slightly. The team that you follow... <laughs> yeah, for my sins, the Dallas Cowboys. When I was a kid, they were really good. Um, however, what is it, 26 years now without even going to a championship game in that time span? You've got the likes of Detroit and Cleveland, I think, that can say they've never been to a championship game and a few other um, high flies as well. It's uh, been a barren spell, I think it's safe to say, for anybody associated with Dallas over the last quarter of a century. And Richard, we're always on the lookout for talent for the NFL Scotland gridiron team itself. We've got various positions, but we're always looking to upgrade. If you were to play the game, sir, what position would you play and why? Got to be kicker, hasn't it? Stay safe. You're not, not allowed to be touched. Have a 15-yard penalty, automatic first down if anybody breathes on you. A lot of people say, I'll be quarterback. Trust me, you get hammered as a quarterback and you're constantly picking, peeling yourself up off the turf. Kicker will do me just fine. 
Fantastic. Cameron, your position as third-string quarterback remains safe. Well done. <laughs> um, now, before we get into the games, Richard, you've covered a number of Super Bowls. You've been at a few. How many have you been to in total? And of the ones that you've been to, what was your favourite? I've been to seven on site. Um, covered the last nine. Favourite one that I've been to? It, honestly, it would... The first one is always incredible because you don't know what to expect. The first one I was actually on site for was the Seahawks-Broncos game, which was a complete blowout. Um, but I do remember that just the flood of Seahawks fans that came into New York that weekend and, and took over the stadium. But my favourite one would, would have to be the last one I was at in Miami, the, the Chiefs 49ers game, because all week long you had the hype around that game. And very rarely just does the Super Bowl actually live up to the hype. That absolutely did. Everything that people talked about before the game came to pass actually within the game, right down to the, the double-digit comeback again from the Chiefs to, to win it all. That, that was an incredible um, game in itself, a, a fantastic week. And yeah, as a standout occasion, that would probably be at the top. Picking a Super Bowl that the Seahawks won in and then one that the 49ers lost in. A double cheap shot, nice and quick, off the bat. Well done, Richard. We'll just get into the games now. Um, so we're <laughs> going to go back to wildcard weekend and let's go through the games one at a time, starting at the very top, of course, with actually what was one of the better games of the whole weekend, I think. Raiders-Bengals. Lots of chat about the whistle, whistlegate. Uh, Jerome Boger and his team will not see any postseason action. Funnily enough, they may have taken on the, the Bengals' curse and uh, that they are now winless themselves and will not progress any further into the postseason. But the Bengals got that one off their back. They finally get to send that text. What were the general thoughts on that one? Well, I thought in that game, Cameron, the better team won. Um, and I, th I think that was key. I mean, the rogue whistle. I mean, th this is what annoys me about the NFL and officiating. It should have been called back. The play should have been called dead and you go again. That's the rules. Well, they failed to do that. No, that, that, no, but that here, here's, the, here's the problem with that, though, is if they do that, then we're complaining rightly that, that they got it wrong. The Bengals. Yeah. So I, I, I agree that by the letter of the law, because that whistle went 0.1 of a second, whatever it was, before the guy caught it. We all know that it didn't alter the play. Every Raiders fan who says it altered the play, and they know it didn't. So both that the def and then the, the defenders stopped, Gordon. A couple no, of the defenders stopped. 0.1 after. I went and looked at the audio of this, right? I, I took the video, and this is how sad I am, because I was getting it in the ear from a friend of mine who's a Raiders fan, and if he's listening to this, Dave, you need to get over this, man. Um... I went and looked at the audio, and if you look at the sound, the audio print where the footage is, uh, it is 0.1 second between the start of the whistle blowing and the ball hitting Boyd's hands. The ball is crossed the plane off the end zone by the time the whistle sounds. Now, the argument that was given to me was, yeah, but the defender's looking at the referee. He can see he's blowing his whistle. like, well, if he's looking at the referee, he's definitely no marking his man. So that's a no, crap like, argument as well. That That is nonsense. The, the, fair, the fair part of the discussion, though, is... Like, it's really annoying that the officials made what was a really good play something that's controversial because that was a great play by Burrow. He's going out of bounds, keeps himself in. He, he wasn't even, it wasn't close to being out of bounds. There was no reason for that whistle to be blown. If the official doesn't blow a whistle, we're just talking about a really good play. And it wasn't just the only, it wasn't, it wasn't the only mistake, though. There well, were other I, mistakes throughout the game. Yes. And that's, that, that's the bigger picture. And then the Raiders are pinning it on one event. So, you know, the right team won. That, let's be honest, as Paul just said. And I like the fact that they managed to take it to the last play. It was a really intriguing game, but the right team won. 
And it was one, I mean, you look at all the games over the weekend and we'll get to the other ones. There were zero lead changes in the second half. And that was the closest that you came to a team tying. And that shows that it was one of the better games. This doesn't say much for wildcard weekend, but I think ultimately the Raiders can have few complaints. And if they look at themselves in the mirror today, they would admit that. I would agree that the, the better team won the game. Um, the problem I've got with this whole conversation is that whilst I also think that it made no impact on what the Raiders were doing defensively on, on that play, you, you've got New York involved here. And everybody who watched it at, at, in real time, I said there was a whistle there. And by glossing over it and saying the play stands, it's a touchdown, you're then compounding the original error and doubling down on it when in this modern era of replay after replay after replay and everything being scrutinised and analysed, it's going to be highlighted that you've got it wrong. If you're going to have a, a video official involved, then even though we all know it made no difference to the play, by the letter of the, the law of the game, you've got to pull that play back. And the fact that they didn't, I think, also probably contributes to the fact that Jerome Boger and the team aren't officiating in any more postseason games this time around. I, I think it's a tough situation because everybody knew what had gone on. However, when you've blown the whistle before the play's completed, you should have played. One thing game. I need to... I mean, Richard, you'll know maybe more about this than the rest of us. That is not a refereeing team that has been refereeing through the season. And we hear this yeah. every postseason. All the best referees, side judges, they're all mashed together for the playoffs. Why do the NFL keep doing that and creating the possibility that something like this might happen. And when will they see sense and actually appoint the proper referee team? Like you see in football, we've got Scottish referees refereeing in Europe. It's the same team every week and they stick together with the same team. Why do they mix it and mash it when it comes to playoffs? And whose idea is that? And when are they going to change it? Well, the, the idea comes from New York, obviously. It's, they, they set the rules. Um, I, I think on one count, it's seen as a reward for your officiating performance during the regular season that you've officiated to such a high standard that you get rewarded with a place in the postseason. And potentially, obviously, that, that translates to the Super Bowl if it goes well enough. I think also they like the idea of impartiality. That I get what you're saying, that you're breaking up teams and therefore you're losing that familiarity that, that a seven-man team or, or whatever has with each other. But by bringing the best of the best together, it's a fresh look. No one can be accused of anything. And it, it might sound like a, a fairly weak argument, but I, I'm fairly convinced that this plays a role in it as well. And I've got to be honest, I don't see it changing anytime soon. So coming back to one thing that you said there that I thought was really interesting, and I picked this up there. I worry because I did pick this up from Twitter, but I do believe this is correct. And about you talking about New York reviewing, Walt Anderson had apparently said that actually it's specific in Rule 15 that an erroneous whistle is not a reviewable play. Therefore, even if it was picked up by New York, it is not. It is a non-reviewable item. And therefore, even if they th went, actually, that was ahead of the time, they wouldn't have been able to bring it back for that. I wonder whether they might now review this. But I think the, the biggest message here is the, the rest were crap all the way through, and they were rotten, and they've been rightly pulled. I think that, you know, above all else... It might be non-reviewable, but how many times during the course of the regular season have we seen New York buzzing, whether it be to adjust the game clock or make sure the ball's on the right yardage line? None of these things are reviewable, yeah, but yeah. New York gets involved right. And, and that, for me, has been one of the big pluses of the, this season's officiating, generally throughout the league. I Look... 
If New York had got involved there and said, look, there was an erroneous whistle. Was it one of you guys? Yes, it was. Right. Pull the play back. That's easily explained to everybody in the stadium and everybody watching on TV. I wonder if, reminds me a little bit with less controversy, and I can probably see where they're coming from more than the end into the F1 season, in the sense that the end of the F1 season, you had this situation whereby it was going to be really unsatisfactory that the season ended effectively with no one racing. So the race director decides, we'll do this. I think in that situation, either New York or the referees have decided the right call here is that this is this should be a touchdown. That, that is the fairest thing we can do. And in doing that, they've done something that technically they probably shouldn't have. The, the other thing I'll say, away from the whole officiating gate, and it frustrates me a little bit that this is the big talking point from it, but the, the city of Cincinnati and the Bengals fans were tremendous during that game. And despite the fact that I'm a Ravens fan, this is going to be very wee guy behavior. I kind of want the Bengals to win the Super Bowl. Um, like the fans were brilliant. Right at the end of the game, it reminded me of being at Hamden Park for Scotland-Israel, for Scotland-Denmark when people didn't leave after the game was done. They were still chanting, cheering, all that stuff because it had been so long since they'd won a game. And 18 months from now, I will hate the Cincinnati Bengals with every fibre of my being because they're going to be good in the AFC North for a while. They've been bad for so long. And and for the record, my company are based in Cincinnati, so I go there quite a bit. And I do like the people. I want them to win the Super Bowl. No, 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 no. You've been getting on my back this season about cheering on the Bears just to beat the Ravens. And you've been getting on my back about cheering on the Lions to beat the Ravens. You then turn around and say it's okay if the Bengals was in okay. the Super Bowl. I didn't. What a lot I, of I said garbage. it was wee guy behaviour. I said it's correct. I just said that. Acceptable wee guy. Right, okay. Well, then that makes it perfectly legitimate for me to conveniently support the Bears. No, it's not the Bears. I choose I'm sorry. To, even though the, well, Bears, the Lions, no. I'll give you. The Bears is like me cheering for the Steelers, and I could never do that. <laughs> so, uh, another organised, constructive conversation. I'm going to highlight as well. We've we've prattled on. Mister Mitchell kicked this off. I think he got about eight or nine words in before Gordon interrupted him. So, I'm actually going to give Paul the final words on this. Paul, the Bengals were impressive. Burrow impressive. Jamar Chase impressive. A couple of players, and we've talked about this before. We were lucky enough to see them both for LSU. That connection's been sensational this season, and they've continued it into the postseason. If they've got any chance to win the Super Bowl, as Gordon says, that is a vital part to their play. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll touch on this when we re- review the next four games. They can go in and beat... They're capable of beating anybody. I think that's the case. It just depends on what kind of day Joe Burrow has. The Burrow chase thing's been a great narrative. Um, and, it, and it is great when you see a team that, you know... I think we saw Icky Woods at the start of of the game, and then the first touchdown, there was the Icky shuffle came in, and you know it's it's good. They had a throwback as well, so the players were definitely into it for the crowd, and yeah, it was terrific. But I, think, I mean, Gordon makes an interesting point. Just to finish off on the, the referees, yes, it was a brilliant play. We would have loved that play. There was an erroneous whistle, and I'm sorry, but the letter of the law says the play should have come back. That's what should have happened. And this, and, and just a final point, there should be no such thing as a non-reviewable play in New York during these games. This, this, I've said this before on the podcast. We don't want to stop, start everything. But when you see something that's clearly wrong that can be altered within 30 seconds, New York should be stepping in, allowable or not. 
The Bengals obviously won, kicked us off with an interesting game. Then we went on to Bill's Patriots and we thought, ooh, this will be tasty. Uh, and it, it wasn't really. Um, it's rather one-sided. The Bills stomped all over the Patriots, which given how dominant the Patriots have been both in their division and in the postseason, I guess any non-Patriots quite happy to see the outcome and maybe enjoyed it just a little bit. But yeah, I think overall... Uh, still a surprising outcome. I saw one thing posted that said that the Bills had the first ever perfect game from an offensive point of view. However, cannot be the case because they missed two point after attempts. So that still can be bettered, but certainly clinical. In yardage, in yardage it was, yes. I think. I, that, that, I read that as well. It was um, in terms of the amount of total yardage that they could have attained throughout the entire game, that no team has ever done that in the history of the NFL in any game. But... I mean, I was reading all this crap ahead of the game about the fact that, oh, the Patriots might prosper in the snow and the ice and oh, Josh Allen's not going to be able to throw the ball. Josh Allen had absolutely no problems at all. You could argue, when we'll talk about the game that they're playing this week, who's going to be the better quarterback in that game? Josh Allen played the perfect game for the second time in about four weeks against the Patriots because he played the perfect game when they met in Foxborough. It's absolutely ridiculous. And so... I, I think it, it showed that New England had been buying above their station most of the season. They've been very good at disposing of weaker teams, but they they followed down the stretch and they were absolutely found out. And I'm delighted that they're out. I haven't yeah, the thing the thing I enjoyed about that game is since Tom Brady left the Patriots, I kind of wondered, like, do I still really dislike them? And that game was really enjoyable to watch. It was very <laughs> enjoyable to watch them just get destroyed. And maybe in a couple of years' time, I won't want them to lose, but it was it was enjoyable to see them get... And, and I think your point about Josh Allen's right. He, he This season, he hasn't been as good as he was last year. But on Saturday night, he was. Saturday night, he played one of the best games of his career. Um, I think it's the second highest grade for a quarterback in a playoff game. That we've had at PFF. The only other one was Mahomes against the Titans in the AFC Championship game. He just destroyed. I'm going to give some credit. I'm going to give some credit where I think it's due, which might not be the most popular thing on this show or outside of it. Um, I think the job Bill Belichick has done with New England this season has been phenomenal. When you look at the turnover of personnel in the off season, the Patriots did something they never do, which was spend big, and boy did they spend big on in free agency. They drafted well. Mac Jones, um, I think, has had a, a really impressive rookie season. I think he's been helped by Belichick and the system in which he's operated in. However, I also think you saw him hit the rookie wall about five weeks before the end of the regular season. What was it? They went on a uh, one and four through December into into the um, into January. Uh, I I said going into the game that I liked the Bills for it, and I also think that. You saw experience count as well. Seven drives, seven touchdowns in a game that was at minus 13 degrees Celsius come kickoff. Phenomenal performance. My one fear is, and I guess we'll touch on this a little bit later, is now you've got all the hype around Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. They've beaten the, the Chiefs in Arrowhead once already this season. This is their time, ready to take the AFC crown. You're building somebody up for a fall. That, that game was a long time ago. These are two very different sides right now uh, and I hope for everybody involved with the Bills that you haven't seen them reach their peak just a few weeks too early I'm, I'm delighted that Richard said that because I thought I was going to have to do the, the dirty job of defending the Patriots uh, which nobody likes to do let's be honest I agree I think you know, if Bill Belichick had had a winning season 
and hadn't made the playoffs and therefore not been absolutely emptied, I think, you know, people is nodding sagely saying Bill Belichick's done a really good job. He's set them up. Just because they got absolutely annihilated doesn't actually take away from what Bill Belichick did with that team. And I think he remains dangerous over the next couple of years to have that Patriots team going again and challenging again. I think, you know, I think there has been some snidiness in the media about, you know, well, they got absolutely hammered and it was great. And I do accept it. It is fun. Um, the over-under on Bill Belichick's handshake with the Bills coach was two seconds, I think, but he actually outlasted it for a change, which was which was quite nice. So I think it's been a good season for Bill Belichick. It shouldn't be overshadowed by the by the end into the season. Richard's right. You know, the, the rookie quarterback, you do get found out eventually, and that's what happened. But I think the Patriots are in a good place. I, I think as well, like, I, I completely agree. I think Bill Belichick and the Patriots are a really good season. It just doesn't change the fact that I enjoyed seeing them get destroyed. Yeah, and I, well, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, I'll jump on that. And, and what I was going to say to you before that, Paul, was on on social media we we've been accused a couple of times of hating on the Bills. There was someone tweeted us a couple of times saying, "You guys, you know, you're you're skipping on the Bills. You're skipping on the Bills." I I don't think we are at all. I think the one thing we've always talked about. Why did we do that? No, I I think the only thing is we've we've talked about it depends on what Josh Allen turns up. And I think that was the perfect example where I, when that I Josh have Allen shows raved up. about Josh Allen. Yes, and, and when that Josh Allen I shows up, I love Josh Allen. I think he's fantastic. I picked them to win the Super Bowl. Yes. So <laughs> the point is, I, by the way, my pick is the only one that's viable yet. Well, well I, hang on. So I, 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 I jump in here because I've got written evidence back in August. I took a, a Chiefs Rams Super Bowl, so I'm all in right now. Oh no! Oh no! 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 no. That's that's a delusion of your mind. That's not happening. Goodness me! No, I, I think I, I think Bills fans can get a bit precious because they're stuck up in Northwest New York and they're a, a loyal fan base and they're all slightly um, off the charts when it comes to their div- devoteeism. But I don't think we've ever bashed Josh Allen. I think the th- I think the fact that that there have been expectations that he could be better than he was last season. I think we've talked about that, and perhaps we were slightly disappointed that through parts parts of the season. I mean, Christ, they lost nine three nine six to the Jaguars. So you're going to get criticism yes. if you lose to the Jaguars. And Allen is prone to having off days. And when he has an off day, I think the Bills have no chance of winning because he's so instrumental to that team's success because they've not had a run game that they can lean back on. Now, actually, one of the things that came out of that game against the Bills was Devin Singletary. And actually, towards the last couple of weeks of the season, Singletary's been tremendous and has really stepped up and been a valuable asset that Josh Allen desperately needs to have something that he can lean on if he maybe isn't getting the options that he wants from his receivers and his tight end. Dawson Knox, what a game he had. That catch for the first touchdown was tremendous. I still think Josh Allen was throwing the ball away. But do you know what? Knox went up and grabbed it out there. It was brilliant. He, he was, by the way. He, he, Did he, he, himself, right. he himself said he was throwing the ball away. I would say that I think the turning point for the Bills probably came in that loss in, in Tampa Bay when the first half they didn't have a single rushing attempt. They got down early. That changed um, with the adjustments at halftime. And ever since then, they've committed to the run, whether it's been successful or not in the main, it has. And that obviously opens up the play-action pass for Josh Allen and somebody of his strength, size. That That's absolutely gold in the extra second or so he gives him back there. And I think that's what you've seen down the stretch with the Bills and what's made them so impressive. But just a quick note on, on the Bills fans. Who saw Ryan Fitzpatrick in in, uh, in the crowd? You know, who doesn't love Fitz magic on the best of days anyway? But bare chest, 
Tested, minus 13, 14 degrees in the middle of all the Bills fans. Absolutely awesome. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a special fan base. It's definitely a special fan base uh, to be embraced. <laughs> and you definitely want to embrace them when it's as cold as that. They should be embracing each other as much as they possibly can. So we'll move on then to the third game, which kicked off our Sunday, which was, of course, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers up against the Philadelphia Eagles. Very one-sided. The we just line. passed over this game, honestly. Let's just pass over it. Uh, yeah, yeah, Paul's Paul's gesturing, forget it. We talked about, last week when Tony was on, God bless him, we said that his Eagles didn't stand a chance. We knew this was going to happen, and we all know that seventh seeds are a bad idea. Tampa were always going to win that game by a country mile. Sorry, Tony. <laughs> the only question to come out of that game is, and, and we've seen this, what on earth were they doing leaving Tom Brady in that game? I mean, he got melted three times in third down in, what, the third or fourth quarter. They do have a backup quarterback in there, and they were actually exposing him to injury. Now, I know they say that, you know, Tom Brady wants to play, wants to complete these games, but your coach, I'm sorry, it has had to get him out of there. He goes down. Their chances go down. I mean, that was nonsensical. Sometimes you watch professional sports coaches, you know, who know far, far, far more than we do, and they make some really dumb decisions. And that, to me, was one of them. That's, a, that's an unnecessary risk. Plus, they should have kicked the field goal. Oh, you know, fourth and one, just kick the field goal. You know, make it 19 points. Just do away with any sort of freak accident coming back. And there's somebody who walked through a glass door at the weekend and all about freak accidents. <laughs> just kick the damn field goal and I'm be done not, with it. Kids I'm don't not, walk into not, glass doors. I'm going to acknowledge that whole kick the field goal thing whole... it was dumb just get on with it and do it yeah it, it's it's dumb to even discuss it because we know that it's fourth and short just go for it it's fine yeah but, but pass, the, the re- pass over all of that more unnecessary given the facts that Tristan Wirth's the arguably the best well, certainly top five left tackle in the game right tackle it, it is out on the sideline um, he's been in a walking boot all week as a, as a result of that your centre Jensen missed time during the game came back in you, you know, you've got a banged-up offensive line, you, you're missing receivers, and you, your linchpin, the, the guy that makes all this tick in a blowout game, is still in there. I've got no doubt it's Tom Brady's decision that said, no, I'm staying in the game. But even at 44, with all your Super Bowl rings, I do still think there are occasions when your head coach has got to take a lead in this and say, look, Tom, thanks, appreciate you want to be there with the rest of the team. Get Bruce, out. Arians was, Bruce Arians was too busy whacking his players over the head to notice. That's the problem. <laughs> I, I think he was right. So the re- I don't necessarily think he was right to stay in the game. The reason why he stayed in the game was because he was ready to come out. If the Eagles didn't score on that drive at the start of the fourth quarter, he comes out. They don't score. Uh, the Eagles do score, sorry. Then they score again. It's then all of a sudden only a two-possession game. And at that point, Brady's staying in the game. So, Did, did anybody at any point think the Eagles were getting back in, so whether Brady was on the pitch or not? No. 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 But, There's your answer. You can't There's really take answer. that risk. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it did feel bizarre. I, it was Brady. Brady doesn't want to come out of the game. It is as simple as that. He doesn't. He doesn't want to come out of the game. And he, he wanted to see through. It's... 
fine. It's Tom Brady and Arians isn't Arians is a strong coach, but no one's going to tell Tom Brady he's coming out of the game. I don't think Belichick probably would have, but Belichick is a stronger coach than Arians is. Uh, I don't think that comes as a shock to anybody. Don't know that anyone will challenge me on that. Uh, obviously, I think the Eagles have already said that they're sticking with Hurts, so obviously rebuild around him will continue. Uh, some rebuilding definitely needs to be done, but. The Eagles would be surprised, I think, to make the postseason. A couple of people tipped it. Were due Tony some burgers because he said it would happen and we didn't think it would. They did well. But as we touched on the pod last week, they didn't really beat anybody good uh, as they got to those nine wins. So that was always going to be a concern coming up against a really good side away from home, especially when it's Tom Brady time. This is the time of year where he thrives. So it was always a tough ask. Uh, I'm sure he didn't enjoy well, that. Let's just remember that the we... The we is not entirely collective. Some of us right. thought that teams could win that division or go to the playoffs because that division was bad. Yeah, you like to sit on the fence. That's fine. I, I think the bigger question around Philly isn't whether Jalen Hurts is a starting quarterback week one next season. It's whether he is still a starting quarterback at the end of next season, looking ahead to 2023. Because let's be honest, this isn't a quarterback-rich draft class. There aren't really any options for Philadelphia now other than stick with Hurts through next season what happens 12 months from now might be more of a talking what, point what if they do the same thing they did so the reason why Hurts is there now is because they took him in the second round with the thinking of what happens if Wentz isn't going to be it and we're going to figure that out wouldn't surprise me to see them use their last first rounder this year or their second rounder on a guy like Malik Willis from Liberty one of the one of the other one of the quarterbacks in this class who you don't need him to be the starter if you draft him in the second round. If he does become the starter, great. It wouldn't surprise me if they do that same strategy again. So the Eagles fans didn't enjoy that game, but they probably enjoyed the next one a little bit. Um, as we moved on to the, the the highlight of the weekend for some. Uh, obviously, 49ers, Dallas Cowboys, uh, a, a match steeped in postseason history. Neither team won anything for a while. We touched on this earlier. You know, Niners been at a couple of Super Bowls but lost them. Uh, it's been a while since the Cowboys made the championship game. It, you know, San Francisco. This is the, this is the, hang on. Let me, let me just come in here. This is where your throat gives out, and then you don't need to talk because we know the Niners won, and we can all turn our attention to where it all went wrong for Dallas. And this is why Richard's here because he needs to dissect this. So, Cameron, you don't need to talk because I know that throat's hurting you. Before, because you don't support the Niners. This is not true. As I say, I support the Niners. I just doubt the Niners. Right? There's a difference. You're allowed to support Mm, and doubt. Didn't support them in Week 18. I did support them. I just supported their exit from the. I don't want them to win. I don't want them to go to the playoffs. I could enjoy the postseason and not have to sit up. So we'll get into right before we start with this noise and nonsense. Uh, We touched on this before we started recording. But my heart rate at one o'clock in the morning on Monday morning was 130 BPM. I knew that shit was going to happen and I'm getting old I could foresee it and I said no let's just go out and I can just relax and enjoy the rest of the postseason and just enjoy the games not have to be invested and not have to put up with your crap for the next week now Patterson with bloody Packers of all the games anyway um, I will l- let the dissection of the Dallas Cowboys commence the only thing I'll say is that first drive ho ho that was beautiful football um, that's one of the easily one of the best first opening drives from the Niners I think I've ever seen it was clinical and it was clean and it was really good to watch. Anyway, I'll leave it up to you to tell me. So, what I mean, I sat here maybe two months ago and Cameron agreed with me 
let's be honest. And I said to, and thank you for reminding me of the quote, um, Gordon, earlier in the week, Shanahan is a fraud, I said. Now, I said this because I felt that the way in which that franchise was going away, they treated poor Jimmy G, the way that they had traded up, sold the house for Trey Lance, and the way in which they were playing like utter pish in mid-October, I was of the opinion that Shanahan was under the pump. He was on the hot seat. And our esteemed host agreed with me. Since then, obviously, Kyle Shanahan has listened to this podcast. He's learned the error of his ways. They've got back to doing what they do best. I have said time and again over the last 12 to 18 months, they have got a Super Bowl roster. They proved it in Dallas. They are absolutely eminently capable of reaching the Super Bowl again. And they should have, I mean, they should have done it and they should have won the Super Bowl against the Chiefs a couple of years ago. They are absolutely capable of winning it this year. And the way in which they played in Dallas, I think, proves it. But that wasn't the story in Dallas. The story in Dallas was about what happened at the end of the game. Richard, give us your thoughts on the quarterback draw. (laughs) First of all, I'll say if your heart rate's hitting 130 and your team goes on to win the game, it doesn't matter. It's great. It's a fantastic feeling. Victory Monday. Here we come. If your team loses on Sunday, I don't know what Victory Monday is. It's not great. Season's done. It's eight months before you're playing competitive football again. So Cameron, I don't want to hear all this rubbish about (laughs) didn't really enjoy it. Heart rate through the roof. Boo-hoo for you. You're playing the Packers this weekend. Go and have a word. (laughs) Um, As for the Cowboys, right. Taking nothing away from the 49ers. Better team over 60 minutes on the night. Thoroughly deserved to win. The game wasn't as close as a scoreline in the end um, suggested if you didn't watch it. What I will say about that opening drive for all 49ers fans, sorry to burst your bubble, but whilst you think it's clinical, I will tell you as somebody who's seen every single snap of the Cowboys this year, that was just deja vu. You've only got to go back three weeks when they played the Arizona Cardinals. Reminder how bad they looked against the Rams on Monday night. And what did they do? Banged up without several players who actually played Monday night. First drive of the game, drove straight down the field, scored a touchdown. Thanks very much. Um, As good as Dan Quinn's defense is, it was was giving up 130 yards on the ground per game in the second half of the season. And that's why this was always going to be a bad matchup for Dallas. I said it previewing it last week. You then add into that 14 penalties, a single-season post-game record. Um, on 50% of snaps that Dallas had offensively, Dak Prescott was under pressure. You had, and I know the uh, national narrative is that, oh, don't Dallas have a, a great offensive line? No, not anymore. That That's just a media narrative. That offensive line is poor. Zach Martin aside, who I think had a, a good game, Lyle Collins at right tackle was awful. Um, you had Connor Williams at left guard, fairly awful. Even Tyron Smith on the interception that Prescott threw. You look where Tyron Smith is. He's pushed right back into Dak Prescott as he's trying to make the throw. Um, and then you you come in. Is that the reason that they ran that play at the end? Is it because well, the offensive line was rubbish? I'm going with, with this. <laughs> what did Dallas have? Tw- 26 seconds on the clock when they get the ball back um, on their own 20-yard line. Bang, bang, bang. They're suddenly on the, the San Fran 40-yard line. You've got 14 ticks left on the clock. They're, they're playing a picket defense. I have no problem at all with the call of quarterback draw. What I have a problem with is in the post-game analysis, you've got head coach uh, Mike McCarthy saying, 
We practice this all the time. There should have been no issue with execution. Well, if you practice that all the time and that's what you put out on the field when it actually matters, your practice isn't very good, quite frankly. The quarterback draw should go no more than 10 yards. Prescott, receiver if you threat, whatever, you hit the ground. You make sure that everybody knows that's the play. You look at the receivers, Noah Brown, C.D. Lamb, uh, Brandon Schultz, None of them had any idea that that was going to be a quarterback draw play. You can tell by their demeanor on the field. That Prescott not only then initiates the play, but he goes 17 yards as the clock's ticking down. As he gets up off the ground, he looks to hand the ball to the center instead of the official. As Romo announced, quite rightly pointed out, the official has to touch the ball before you can play the next down. The whole thing was a botched job from start to finish. I don't think that's that Prescott is the lone culprit in this. You've got to look at Kellen Moore, the play caller as the offensive um, coordinator. And what's more, Mike McCarthy, ultimately, you're the head coach. The buck stops with you. To be on the 40-yard line, game on the line, you know, it's win or go home. You've got two shots at least at the end zone if you want a Hail Mary. You decide that's not what you want, fair enough. You want to get it closer to the end zone in a better field position where you can call a drawn-up play. No problem with that at all. The execution... And then the accountability afterwards was, quite frankly, shambolic and shocking. Look, the only reason Dallas got into that position was because the San Francisco 49ers, in my opinion, did everything they could to keep the Cowboys in the game. It should have been over long before then. But the fact they were still in that position, the fact they had a chance to progress through the postseason, the fact that they blew it on the national stage, in such a public and spectacular fashion. All I can say is that in recent years, Cowboys fans, that is Dallas Cowboys football. The, the other the other really weird decision in that game was what followed the, the fake punt, which was a great play call. But then the punt team stayed out. And the, the punt team stayed out, almost trying to fake the defense or trying to get some kind of reaction. And then you've then got to allow the defense to substitute when you run your offense on the field late on, so you get a delay of the game. Well, once again, this just ties into what I'm saying about execution, accountability, and coaching decisions. Where's the discipline in this team? You've decided that you're going to try and get something out of the opposition. So you decide to be a bit cute. You quite clearly are not aware of the mechanics and what needs to be done in order to make that happen. Because you're stood around saying, official, you've got to get out of the way. The official does not have to get out of the way. It's his job to make sure that the 49ers are allowed to mirror the substitutions. Then you get out of the way and a play can go. Dallas let, was it 10, 12, 13 seconds run off the clock before they decide to pull the punt team and get the offense back on the field? That is on the Cowboys. Yeah, so Mike McCarthy, I like bashing Mike McCarthy here, so I'm just going to blame on him. I've, I've had to endure that as a Packers fan for years, Richard. Suck it up, big boy. That's all I'm going to say. Because well, the longer, I, I, I don't know the longer you keep Mike McCarthy, the more you're going to have to deal with that. <laughs> I think there's a couple of interesting things here, guys. First of all, Tony Romo called it immediately that Dak should not have gone more than 10. He knew that immediately, explained it immediately, and explained why. The handling of the ball w- was exceptionally dumb as well. The execution of that play was arguably the worst play in the NFL since the Falcons were told not to score and did score against the Lions, which I think was last season. I mean, it was just dumb. But look at all the pre-snap penalties. I mean, that that, that in itself, almost inexcusable. I think that was a record number of penalties for Dallas in a playoff game. Um 
you know, a friend of mine who is a huge Dallas fan called it a clown show, the worst he'd ever seen in 26 years, and that there should be ramifications for it. And I've just sent, and hopefully Cameron will put this up on our Twitter, but I've just sent a, a, a copy of what the Dallas Cowboys tweeted out in advance of the game, the graphic that they used. And they managed to, as if it was a roadmap to the Super Bowl, and they had next exit San Francisco v Dallas. How right they were. It was Dallas's next exit. That's awful from their social media team. It's the first thing I saw when I looked at it. Poor stuff. I, I, and no, nobody in Dallas, can I just say, will be particularly surprised by what transpired last weekend. You know, you talk about the Eagles and who did they beat down the stretch. Of 10 win teams this season, Dallas beat New England. That was it. Um, they lost to the Kansas City Chiefs. They lost to the Oakland Raiders on Thanksgiving. They lost to a, what was, quite frankly, a poor Cardinals side by the time they arrived in, in Dallas in, in December. And throw into that as well a humiliating defeat to the Denver Broncos at home in October. <laughs> you know, they, Dallas, fine. They bullied their way through a bad NFC East. You're putting points of plenty on Washington. You're, you're thrashing the New York Giants. You're taking care of the Eagles. I'm sorry that those are, those are teams you should be beating if you think you're a good side. But let's not forget, Dallas shouldn't even been playing last weekend. If they take care of the Cardinals at home, that's it. They, you know, they, they, they're, they're on the verge of being the number one seed. It didn't happen. It went out of their hands. And all of a sudden, you're not even the number two seed. So you're not getting Philly. You're getting a, a hot San Francisco 49ers side coming into town. And, you know, you're slow out of the gates again. You didn't you didn't even cross midfield until well into the second quarter, let alone put points on the board. And yet you're meant to be the number one ranked total offense in the NFL, the number one ranked scoring offense. It, the stats might say that this Cowboys team in the second half of the season didn't always look like that. I blame the Jumbotron. That got involved, didn't it, on Sunday? <laughs> I, I thought it played well. They've renewed its contract. Cameron, just before you, you go there, I think we should just cover the the ball bag nomination because basically I've got it in front of me and it's Dak Prescott, Cowboys defence, Cowboys fans, Cowboys O-line, Jerry Jones, Dallas Cowboys coaching staff, uh, you know, Mike McCarthy. It is pretty much that. The refs get a bit of a beating up, but pretty much it's all about the Cowboys. Um, and I think we've covered just about everything that was mentioned. Apparently, Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott refused to be slimed by the Nickelodeon people, which is upset. Uh, it was Simon Brown. But I think he had other things on his mind. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if anything Cameron comes out of this in Dallas in terms of repercussions. But you suspect Jerry Jones will just continue to do press conferences. And I don't think there'll be a change at coach. Well, there was one other thing that happened that we didn't talk about was obviously there was the footage at the end where the, the fans were throwing stuff onto the field. At first, people thought it was being thrown at the Dallas Cowboys players and it turns out it wasn't. They were thrown at the officials as they were blaming them for that final play where, you know, I think Richard rightly, that wasn't on the officials. Fine, the, the official could have run quicker or could have managed to get through that O-line. That You know, there's a few people on social media pointing out that was the best block they did all afternoon was when they blocked the, the umpire trying to get through to the ball. Um, but, you know, Dak came out afterwards and said something very stupid in that he, he condemned the fans for throwing it because he thought it, it was being thrown at the Dallas Cowboys. And when someone pointed out it was being at the officials, he went, well, good on them. Uh, and, and obviously he's come out and apologised since. But, yeah, that's that's ball bag behaviour right there. That, it just is. 
Can, can I just say as well, on that final player of the game, for, for all those people saying 14 seconds on the clock, you, you don't run a quarterback draw there. It's foolish. It's tight. It's not impossible. And with the 49ers-Packers game in mind this weekend, you only have to go as far back as week three. Coming down the final stretch of that game, the Packers need the game-winning field goal. 16 seconds on the clock. Rodgers completes a pass. Everybody's on the same page. You can tell. The offensive line, the receivers get in position. He clocks the ball. He did that inside 13 seconds. So if the execution is there and you're all on the same page, it's very possible. The the fact of the matter is, forget blaming the officials. You had 14 penalties in the game. You had 14 other occasions when 89 total yards, I think, penalty yards. That's nearly the length of the field. The fact of the matter is that if you execute that play and everybody's on the same page, you can get that ball clocked and you can get the playoff you want to. Dallas didn't. They weren't on the same page. Their execution was all A long off-season, isn't it, Richard? Sorry, you've got it all off your chest here. Don't worry. You can go into therapy now. It's fine. It's still a winnable division. That division's still a mess. So I think that's the one thing on the Cowboys' side looking forward. We'll touch on all this in the offseason. But I don't know that there's anything needs ripped up in Dallas. There's just some honing in, maybe some some coaching improvement, some thinking about things as Gordon wrings his hands together there. I don't know if I think it's an interesting an interesting week or two in Dallas because obviously there's a lot of noise around Dan Quinn and Kellen Moore. I think Dan Quinn's the big one given the, the fantastic job he's done in transforming this Cowboys defense. Um, Jerry Jones came out after the game and said he'd never felt more disappointed following a postseason loss, or he couldn't remember. I think that's quite important because the last time he came out with words like that was after the LA Rams postseason loss and um, Jason Garrett was there another season and then, then gone. Mike McCarthy, I think, watched this space. I think he probably stays as head coach, but I think that seat is heating up because Jerry Jones said afterwards he felt this t- the talent was there on the team and this team was ready to win now. He's not getting any younger. Mike McCarthy needs to deliver. Right, we've uh, we've been almost going for 45 minutes. We've still got two games to go. So on to the, the next game. And I talked about my heart rate being 130 at 1 o'clock in the morning. Um, thankfully, the beginning of the Steelers-Chiefs game was dull as dishwater and managed to calm me down before I went to my bed. Woke up to watch it. And Gordon, I'll give you this one because I know that you'll you'll have a lot of thoughts here. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure you'll want to celebrate Big Ben and everything that he achieved in his career. Obviously, it ended on maybe a bit of a disappointing end for him. I am just incredibly glad that our loyal listener and good friend Johnny Bailey got to see one <laughs> last playoff failure by Ben Roethlisberger. Would I say it was worth the Ravens losing to get the Steelers into the playoffs for that? Probably not. I'd probably be a step too far. However, watching Ben Roethlisberger complete six passes in the first half or six passes into the early second quarter when Patrick Mahomes had five touchdown passes at that point, was glorious. Mahomes had five touchdown passes in 12 minutes of game time. The Steelers' offense looked awful until the Chiefs at the end basically gave it up to them. Roethlisberger at one point was averaging like 1.7 yards per attempt as a passer. He should have retired three years ago. Now, who knows what quarterback situation they've got, but they looked absolutely dreadful. I'll make the case that that was the worst a seventh seed has looked in the two years we've had it so far. They were absolutely dreadful. I don't know if you need to say much more. Worse than Chicago last year? Yes. Yeah, probably. 
Well, at least the Steelers took the lead. So there was, for a, a glimpse of a moment, the possibility that they might do something. But then reality hit home. My, my, only, my only hope in life is that Gordon looks at his girlfriend with as much love as he does looking at that Steelers result at the weekend because I've never seen a man look happier. <laughs> we can't get that quite across on the podcast, but honestly, Gordon, uh, Gordon's probably going to get engaged to that game uh, next week. So we'll, you know, we, we, we wish them every me, happiness me, together in the future. Me and that result are going to live happily ever after. <laughs> <laughs> the best part as well is that Steelers, Steelers fans were thinking that it was going to be like, because the Chiefs were doing the whole Ben Roethlisberger retirement party and Steelers fans were like, oh, remember what happened? Teams tried to do that with Ray Lewis for the Ravens and they won the Super Bowl. Yeah, the Ravens won the Super Bowl on a retirement tour. You guys got absolutely hammered out the playoffs in a game that you never had a chance in. So how many months have we got before Russell Wilson's traded to, to Pittsburgh? I, I think they're going to go Pittsburgh. Bills. I, I would hate that. I would hate I would hate Rodgers. I would hate everything about that. And the thing that does worry me a little bit about that is they've they've got more cap than people realise this year. So they can go and make a move if they want. It'd be very unstealers like though. I'd be very upset yeah. if that happened. I, I think they'll go with Rudolph. I, 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 well, I love the fact that they're on paper and publicly saying, yeah, I like the fact we've got Mason Rudolph. I love the fact they've got Dwayne Haskins. Mike Tomlin's been talking up Dwayne Haskins. God help you Steelers fans. Oh my goodness. Anyway, they didn't deserve to be in the playoffs and they got rightly routed. So yeah. let's let's move them on. The Chiefs <laughs> move on and we will come around and talk about the Belter. There's certainly one player that played that game that will be in the nominations for that. Um, so that leaves us with the last game, the LA Rams versus the Arizona Cardinals, which you know Richard's already alluded to, was um, a blowout as well. The Cardinals really disappointing. I, I I actually thought they had a chance in this. I thought, Do you know what? There's been so much hype about Cliff in the second half of the season. Um, JJ Watt was coming back. It felt like, Do you know what? There feels like a bit of momentum suddenly behind the Cardinals. And that, they were very good at the start of the season. We talked earlier in the year, were they this year's Pittsburgh Steelers? We kind of went, no, we're not sure that they are. Turns out they were. Really disappointing performance. Uh, Kyle and Murray just looked lost in that game. Paul, who who did you pick in your pick six for that game? Rams. Yeah, so you had so much faith in the Cardinals. I said they could. You went with a Rams. I didn't say that yeah, they would. Bob, no, Wait, that, I, that's that, that is utter, that's utter Bob Agony for well, as usual when standard, it comes to these picks. Standard. I went for the Cards to try and close the gap. On so did you. I. Yeah. So did I. Honestly, you say this stuff with a straight face. I'm, I'm almost in awe of you. I, I, they were anemic, the Cardinals, and I, I picked just like you, the Cardinals, and I also, I went with the Raiders as well because I thought they had a chance, and that was my only roll of dice to catch him up, and he got five out of six, and he's smiling like a smarmy git, so um, I'm not having any of it. The, the only thing I always say is I would like to congratulate Matthew Stafford on his first ever playoff win. Yeah. Um, because he has never had the opportunity. He always chucks an interception in here, there, and everywhere, and having watched him in the NFC North for many, many years. I didn't have much faith that he was going to turn up, but they were very, very good. But the problem is I don't think you can pick which Rams team's turning up at the moment. So as good as they were, it wouldn't surprise me if they went to Tampa and laid an egg. Um, they were terrific this week. They were awful against the, the, the Niners the week before. They were rank rotten against the Packers when they went to Lambeau, but then they beat Arizona in Arizona about six weeks ago. So... Which Rams team 
is is the real Rams. That's what I'd like to know. I said at the start of the season, I thought the Rams would be the team to fall out of the playoffs in the first round. They've got all the superstars, but I don't think you can trust them. And hey, look, this weekend is the hey, this hey. weekend is the big test. This is the big test, and they've got a great chance because that offensive line in Tampa is perhaps a bit of a mess. You will not get a better chance to have a shot at Brady than this weekend. They've got to step up and deliver. Yeah, look, if, if Matthew Stafford plays a clean game and doesn't throw an interception, I think the Rams win. I, I think with this LA Rams side, that's what it comes down to. If Matthew Stafford can avoid turning the ball over, and this goes for the 49ers game in week seven, week 18 as well, they win that game as well. They're the number two seed. Um, I, I think the return of Cam Akers is huge for the LA Rams. Um, and I think Sean McVay has come to realise, a bit like we're talking about Josh Allen, the Bills, if you can get a bit of a run game going, the play-action pass, that then suits Matthew Stafford. What he also did as well on Monday night was spread the, the field so Stafford could see everything and what wasn't worried necessarily about a pass rush. Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball, Von Miller was lights out, Aaron Donald is Aaron Donald, and they've got Leonard Floyd, uh, as well back there, who nobody seems to, to talk about. And as you quite rightly say, Charles, you look at um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and how banged up they are um, offensively at the moment. I don't think there's a better time to play them. They, their big thing last year was everybody was healthy and I think they caught lightning in a bottle a little bit. And they got breaks at key uh, points in the postseason in all their games pretty much. This season's been a little bit different. Um, and I, I actually like the LA Rams on Sunday. I, I'll preface this by saying I really like Kyler Murray. I think he's a very fun player to watch. That was the most egregious throw I've seen in playoff football. <laughs> throw it away earlier. Throw it away was the right idea. You were too late, and at that point, you just have to accept it. He's done it. it before. He did it about three weeks ago. Now, who's it against? Well, I think it might have been the Rams the first time around. He did it about three or four weeks ago. So this is something that's inherent in his game when he's backed up in his own end zone. And that is coaching. There's no way a third-year quarterback, or a, yeah, he's a third-year quarterback, that's correct. There's no way he should be getting the kind of thought process that they go through quarterbacks to think that that is a good idea. Take the safety. Bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. And let, let, let's roll that back one play um, because the Cardinals would never have been in that position if the ball to AJ Green had been called a catch and that call had been upheld on the field. Um, it wasn't. So they ended up pl uh, playing the next snap from the one yard line or whatever it was. And he's getting sacked, throws the, the pick six. Do we think that was the right call to say it wasn't a catch? I think it was right. I think it was a really clean hit. And I don't think he. So it's one of those ones, I think they described it really well in the commentary. If you get two feet down and you're going out of bounds, you're generally going to be fine. If you're in field like that and you get one foot in the other, you probably have to survive the hit. If you're not getting a third or fourth foot down there or a move with the ball, you've got to survive that hit going to ground. And he didn't. So I, I, I think it was probably the right call. Very close. I mean, that, that aside, I agree with Charles. I thought Kyler Murray... Looks frankly at times scared on Monday night. Yeah. Um, it, you know, everybody came out afterwards, JJ Watt, Cliff Kingsbury, et al., saying that this was a performance that was not suitable for this team and they expect better from themselves. But I said, said right at the start of the season, I thought it was a big year for both Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kine, the general manager, um, because they'd gone all in on Kyler Murray and getting free agents in. 
as well. And through the first half of the season when they're eight and one and it's cooking, everybody's saying, wow, what a good job they've done. But then, you know, history repeating itself. Last year, they start five and three and end up eight and eight, don't make the playoffs. This time, they, they lose five of their final eight games. They, they could have been the number one overall seed in the NFC. They didn't even win the NFC West in the end, and they're one and done in the playoffs, and it wasn't even close. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I think the way it's ended this season, um, it's ended badly, and I think that's going to be the overriding sour taste left in the mouth in Arizona. Is that a lack of creativity, though, you wonder, as a play caller, as a head coach? Because... That's stamina, you know, twice at at good times. You know, you've got a team that's on the roll and then they just flop. That's an inherent fault in coaching. And it's either a lack of ideas in the offense or the players, it's not the players are not fit or they're not able to last the pace, but mentally they're not attuned to it. There's a major, that's, that's a psychological issue there. What One man doesn't make a team, but I think the loss of DeAndre Hopkins for this side, particularly offensively, was huge. I don't think you can overstate how big it was. Um, it was a safety blanket for Kyler Murray. He made game-changing plays. And I think you, you saw when he wasn't on the field, suddenly you're not having to double-team um, what one man. You can you know, spread your, your wealth of resources defensively. And Kyler Murray and the, the Cardinals' offense weren't able to adapt to it. And it's interesting, like, there was a couple of plays in that that it didn't even look like the receivers that were on the field knew what Kyler was doing or was going to do. There was a, I I can't remember, it was Rondell Moore and someone else, Christian Kirk, I think. And the two of them were almost running in the same direction. The ball went to neither of them and they kind of just both looked around going, I I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. Um, You know, the the, the ball to James Conner that we're talking about was just flung at his head. Um, There was just, it was panicky. Someone said he was seeing ghosts. It was kind of like that. And it just was... Everything had been built up. And I think at week nine, as you say, when they're eight and one, if we sat down at week nine and we said, right, there's going to be two teams from the NFC West that are playing in the divisional round and the Cardinals aren't one of them, we would all have been flabbergasted at that, at that point, because they looked unstoppable. They were tremendous. But the wobble came uh, and it it came down to, it came crashing down. It did. Like you say, they didn't even win the division. Now there's two other teams from that division that have progressed and they haven't. So lots to be, to go forward with this. Kyler Murray is fun to watch. It's frustrating playing against him because he just runs around. He is, he's Russell Wilson light. And, you know, he's got a lot of those same capabilities. He showed to me he's not as good as Russell Wilson was at the same stage because Wilson at the same point was absolutely 100% in control of his team. And he's never had a great offensive line in front of him, but Wilson was capable. Uh, And I think that Kyler Murray needs to work on that. Cliff Kingsbury needs to work on his. And that is big questions next season for them, absolutely. They need to take a step forward because anything else is going to be a failure now. Well, Cliff Kingsbury's out. If they don't have a successful season, win the division and win a playoff game, he's out. I don't think there's any doubt about that. His December record will get him fired. And as Richard pointed out, that all three seasons have been dreadful in December. That will get you fired. They've got too good a team uh, to mess around. And I think he's gone unless he can turn this, turn this around. 
Indeed. Right, we have talked about all the games. Let's do the Belter Award. We do need to pick our ball bag. I, it might be quite quick, as we've alluded to, but let's do this. We'll pick our winners, and then we'll touch very quickly on the games coming up this weekend. A couple of nominations that I'm going to read out here very quickly, because, again, there's one name dominates this side as well. Um, but Ryan Johnson gives it to the Bengals. They can finally send that text. We touched on that. Paddy Kelly gives it to Cam Akers. To come back from injury so quickly and almost hit 100 yards in a playoff game is just remarkable. D'Amico Ryans gets one from Stephen Joyce. Niners D was everywhere against the Cowboys. He's done a great job with whoever the next man up is. Uh, Jamar Chase gets a nomination from Brian McHugh. Breaks records every game. Burrow Chase will be around for years to come. Who they? A couple of nominations for Joe Burrow, for Sean Breen, Ian Brown, James Whitson. Beyond that, the Micah Hyde gets one from Phil Spears. It's uh, very easy to nominate Buffalo's offense. However, the whole narrative would be different if it wasn't for that interception in the first quarter, which was brilliant to watch. And I didn't see him. They, they, it kind of came from nowhere. I don't think anyone was looking at Micah Hyde. He just appeared. Um, would, would the whole narrative be different without that interception? It could have been. Would, would the narrative actually be different? Could have been. I don't think it would. Could have been. I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> uh, OBJ gets one from Callum Buckham. Um, you know, vilified has been the problem in Cleveland. Proved that the real issue was Baker. He helped play... Uh, he, his play has helped Stafford get his first playoff win. Um, there's a couple of nominations for the Niners. Sean Black gives one, turning it on just as it's needed, and they knocked out the Cowboys. That in itself is enough to be a belter. Can, can we can we go back? Can we go back very briefly to that Odell Beckham one? Because I've just realised, based on how badly the Ravens' season fell apart midway through the year, this is this week is the most I've won. Odell Beckham so be great on Monday night, oh my goodness! And, and the Steelers being destroyed on Sunday night. I've had a great week. So I've spent, smart. The, I've oh. spent the entire last month saying that the Ravens season over. It's vibes only at this point. And what what a week this was. Uh, Travis, Tell you what, what would make it better next week? I know exactly what would make it better next week for you. <laughs> um, Travis Kelsey. Um, gets a couple of nominations. Travis Kelsey's mum gets a nomination from Ross Sterling, travelling to both Tampa and Kansas on the same day to watch both her sons playing in the playoffs. Uh, it wasn't private either, commercial, and in the pleb class, like the rest of us would travel. Good effort from her. Um, Trent Williams gets a nomination, not just being for an all-star tackle, but rather for having the intelligence to false start on that fourth down quarterback sneak. Trent knew and appreciated the Cowboys and their fans hadn't suffered enough. Yes, they had the potential to win the game, but they knew they were going to blow it. Uh, so yeah, Zach Taylor gets a nomination, and then everything else, pretty much, is for Josh Allen. Every single nomination, you know, ridiculous performance against a Bill Belichick defense, says Stephen Bryson, in one of the coldest games in NFL history. 21 for 25 for 308 yards, five touchdowns, 66, 66 rushing yards and six carries to boot. A tremendous performance. Um, you know, Chris Breen says it doesn't get much better than a true belter performance. Is there anyone other than Josh Allen that gets the belter nomination this week? No. No? Then no. let's raise a drum right now. To Josh Allen, you are the Loch Lomond Belter of the week. And Paul, you had the ball bag list. You were looking at that earlier on. It is pretty much, is it anyone other than Dak Prescott? Uh, do you know what, Richard? I'm going to no, give, I think we should give Richard the cast and vote. It's going to the Cowboys, right? There's some bum performances. But I think that above all else, there's, there's a level of blowing it in Dallas that means it has to go to Dallas. And I'll let anyone chip in with any other names. But Richard, I'll let you decide who from Dallas will get that award. Hang on, Gordon, you've got your hand up. You're chipping someone else in. And so may, maybe it winds up going to someone in Dallas. There's no way we can talk through the Bob Ag section without talking about Peyton Barber for the Raiders. I know it was the first game and we kind of... 
understand what he's trying to do. He was yep. trying to do a very smart play, which is the whole, if you're out of bounds and you grab the ball, ball goes to 40, great. Except he wasn't out of bounds. <laughs> and all of a sudden, <laughs> you set your team up for absolute <laughs> failure. In that yeah, the, the idea is you establish at least one foot out of bounds rather than catching it one foot in bounds and then putting one foot out of bounds. Um, set up your own team on their own, was it two-yard line or whatever, because you didn't quite get it right. That was not just a little error. That was a huge error. But still, we need to give it to Dallas. So come on, Richard. Who in Dallas? I thought we'd moved on. Who was the... No, no, no. Who... who oh, yeah, there's, there's plenty of people on this podcast who would like me to be gone by now. Um, I, I, I would give it to the Jumbotron, personally, but I don't think the Jumbotron was to blame for Dallas's demise. So you have to pick somebody. Single one person out, Richard, um, who's getting it in the neck. I, I'm going to give it to one person that we haven't really mentioned on this, and it wasn't a player. It wasn't a member of the coaching staff in Dallas. I'm going to go to the president, the general manager, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, Jerry Jones. And the reason why is because you've built a multi-million dollar stadium, intentionally, by the way, angled to such an extent that because you want it to be for, it's good for TV and the aesthetics, you don't even drop drapes down the windows. You allow the sun to come glaring on through um, on the stroke of halftime, your your own receiver, he can't catch the ball because he can't see the ball because he's looking straight into the sun and literally ducks and it flies over your head. So I, I, I think, look, it was a perfect storm on Sunday. Everything that is comical that could go wrong in Dallas went wrong, right, including the, the sun itself shining through the windows um, in the stadium and that that actually affects your own team. Yeah, I mean, your, your own stadium is a disadvantage to your own team. So I'm going to go with the owner, going to go right to the very top. Jerry I thought Jones. you were going to blame the sun and make the sun the ball bag. <laughs> I we mean, could do that. It would be it would be unique. It would be unique. Um, in Scotland, we would be playing a dangerous game to award the sun a ball bag nomination. I think we're already on a bad relationship with the sun here. I don't think we want to push that any further. <laughs> also, I, I think it's terrible for football reasons. And... All that stuff. Understand why it's absolutely terrible. Tell you what, though. See if you get a mid-afternoon game in Dallas. The pictures that come out after are incredible. Yeah. Like the sun kind of coming. Brilliant. Terrible there, for trying there, to play a football game, I'm sure. I, I kid you not. There is, there is an interview Jerry Jones did way back. I think it was Bob Costas. Um, when he talks about the stadium. Uh, and he, he says in this interview specifically, it's not just about football. It, it is about the aesthetics. This building has been built for television. Uh, and you see some fantastic stills come out of it with the sun coming through and the players lined up uh, on the field in front of you. But look, ultimately, we're talking about football and the playoffs and the postseason. And fine, there, there were many other things that went wrong in that game. But for it to be a crucial moment and hurt your own team, I, yeah, you just throw your hands in the air. I, I would just like to say that just on that stadium, I've been there, it's it's absolutely wonderful. And this actually happened on Sunday. A friend of mine sent me a copy of John McCotter's tweet, which was the AT&T Stadium's doors opened. I don't know if you've seen it. And all the Cowboys fans just rushed through the doors, you know, and hordes of them trying to get to their seats early. My friend sent me a note saying, having walked through these doors, I so wish I was running through them just now with these guys. He sent that to somebody who walked through a glass door on Saturday night. It just made me laugh so much. <laughs> and I just went back to him and said, yeah, 
Thanks, Bick. <laughs> Hey, the, 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 the difference is in Dallas, they had the good sense to open the glass doors. <laughs> That's very true. But if you've ever got a problem, get one open. Give me a shout. Right. We, we need we need to know. I mean, the ball bag. I mean, yeah, it's anybody connected with Dallas. In, in terms of uh, Richard, give me a number between one and 42. Any number you like. 27. 27. So my, my good colleague has, again, decided not to put them in numerical order. But I can tell you that the Bob Ag's Bob Ag this week will be Greg Stark. Smash into Dak, can't get the ball off, and then run down the tunnel. He, he didn't like the ball judge. That was his specific one this week. But, Greg, well done. You have won a pair of Bob Ag's. And we need to select the winner for the Loch Lomond single malt whiskey and two tumblers. So, Richard, I'm going to ask for another number between 1 and 42 now. Well, since we've hammered Dak on this show, we might as well go number four. Number four. Number four is Mike Douglas. Congratulations to Mike. You win the whiskey and the two tumblers. Right. Okay. Uh, do you know what? We were planning to do a little bit of a preview of the games coming up this weekend, but we've been prattling on for over an hour now. So what we're going to do is we're going to wrap this one up here and we're going to do an extra podcast this week. So we can't say better than that, right? So we'll officially call the full-time whistle. It's come unexpectedly. It's, it's, it's a bit like Dak. Dak came into this thinking we were going to talk about the games, but he screwed it up. The, the, we've run out of time, and the whistle's gone for episode 179 of the NFL Scotland podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this and every single episode. Please continue to share your thoughts on social media, at Scotland NFL on Twitter, and search for NFL Scotland on Facebook. Thanks to Richard Graves for joining us. Delighted to have you along, Richard. We wish you all the very best for the close season. We know what it's like to not be in the next couple of weeks. Charles Patterson and Cameron Hobbs, they will go head-to-head this weekend. Both ball bag nominations for next week's programme for both already saying the game's a bit late. I don't really want to stay up. <laughs> we'll get to we that. We might get more into that on the podcast next time, right? We're Thanks old. as well to Gordon McGuinness, who's who's just had the most wonderful, wonderful week. And we hope that that continues. And I hope everybody can have a good a week as Gordon. Thanks for listening to the NFL Scotland podcast. On behalf of all the team, thanks for listening. Bye for now.